0: Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, Built to Evolve, presented by Deloitte. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will help set up your business for the future with topics centered on the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll focus on case studies and leading practices designed to move you to the next level. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy to be here. We are live. It is March 5th. Where is the year going? And thank goodness it's not 2020 anymore. This is the Kinetic Enterprise presented by Deloitte. And I have some breaking news. Deloitte has been recognized by SAP as the number one global partner. And you can follow Deloitte at Deloitte SAP on Twitter. So let's talk. Let's see what our topic is today. We're talking about the COVID-19 crisis. Oh, come on. You all know it's permanently changed the way businesses view and manage supply chains. How many of you tried to order a new computer or exercise equipment or something big or small in the past year and there was a delay, a delay, a delay? We know about that. Organizations that move fast to make their supply chains more flexible, more resilient, more efficient, and insight-driven, have built an edge that could persist and endure. I like the word endure long after the pandemic is behind us and we are seeing some light at the end of that tunnel. These industry leaders have invested heavily in digital supply chain capabilities that allow them to rapidly embed innovation into their operations, to proactively address issues, which is so important, to increase efficiencies, even more important, and to grow all while serving their end customers better. Yes, it's been a rough time, but we're starting to see some progress. Tune in, I know you're here with us, as three transformation specialists from Deloitte and SAP discuss strategies, solutions, and leading practices for enabling responsive digital cloud-enabled supply chains that can address today's reality, as well as tomorrow's disruption. I call it the new reality. Some people call it the new normal. I don't think we'll ever get back to that normal again. So I'm very pleased to welcome today Deloitte's Jamie McCall. Jamie, for the purpose of the video, you can wave. There you go. And we have Deloitte's Jim Kilpatrick. Hello, Jim. You can wave, too. And we're very happy to welcome SAP's John Robinson. And I have to tell our listeners, I'm here on Zoom with them. I'm the only one in the U.S., so this is truly a global pandemic. And the topic is the Kinetic Enterprise Accelerating Transformation with Digital Supply Chains. Yes, yes, yes. So let's get started. I'm pleased to introduce, to actually ask him to introduce himself. Jamie McCall, would you do me the honor, please, of introducing yourself to our audience? Tell us a little bit about what you do at Deloitte. Where did you come from? How did you get to this point? And what's your passion for digital supply chain transformation? Acceleration, that's a big title. Jamie, I'm putting you on speaker view. Go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Hey, morning Bonnie, how are you? Um, thank you very much for having me too. So um, I'm Jim McCormick, director in our UK practice, I'm specializing in SAP transformation of the supply chain. I've been with Deloitte for about the last 10 years, but it's all the, the supply chain is a journey I've been on for a lot longer. I actually started off as an operations graduate, running around warehouses, running down production lines, learning how to do production engineering and putting bits and pieces onto planes before getting asked to join an SAP project and transitioning into the world of consultancy. And really, since I got there, it's been all about helping our clients improve their processes, using the best technologies we've got, often SAP, most often SAP for me, and moving on. And I, I think you said it right. I think um, the world has changed very quickly in the last year. And we're, we're going to really ride the wave of that change as a, as a society for the, the foreseeable future. And the supply chain is going to be at the heart of that. And I think that, that, that's what really excites me, you know, for the, for the first time in a long, long time, we are seeing changes in the supply chain, not driven by cost cutting, but driven by what's happening in society and what, the, what, what our consumers really at the end of the day want and expect. And I think that's gonna uh, mean we're gonna be doing some really interesting stuff, which we'll come on to talk to in the program.
1: Thank you, Jamie. I hear optimism. I hear excitement in your voice, doing interesting things. And as far as what customers want, I don't know if anybody knows right now what they want or what they need, because we're still, aren't we, Jamie, in a in a stage of transition, of transformation. Things are reopening a little at a time. Some industries were very shut down. Some had to punt and become agile, digitally agile, if they had already done the work to be able to ride that wave of change. And now we're possibly seeing exciting and better and bigger. Thank you, Jamie. Great introduction. Jim Kilpatrick, happy to welcome you. You and I were on radio a couple of years ago together. I'm so happy to see you. I think this is the first time on Zoom, actually. Jim, would you do me the honor, please, of introducing yourself? And similarly, what's your take on the topic? A quick overview. Jim Kilpatrick.
3: Yeah, yeah thanks. Thanks, Bonnie. It was actually uh, within the last year. It's just that with COVID, it's hard to figure out when what day is what day. And so <laughs> it feels like two years ago, but a uh, pleasure to be back. And then my first time on Zoom, obviously. Uh, I am a partner in Deloitte, based in Toronto, and I'm currently yeah. Deloitte's global supply chain and network operations leader. And uh, I've been with Deloitte. I'm not sure if this is a badge of honor or embarrassment, but I've been with Deloitte now over 30 years. Always focused on supply chain management. Uh, I, I got interested in the topic as an engineering undergrad. With, you know, with an MBA, I, my father was in materials handling. So at the age of 16, when drafting was still done with T-squares and and pencils, I uh, helped my dad with warehouse layouts you know, on weekends and uh, started to learn about logistics. I spent a little bit of time, believe it or not, in Japan uh, as I was going through my engineering degree, learning about just-in-time production techniques. And in my 30 years with Deloitte, I've seen a lot of waves. I started in Deloitte helping companies pick MRP2 systems. I saw the wave of re-engineering. I saw the e-business wave. And just prior to COVID, I said to many of my colleagues in a global meeting in Belgium, this is probably one of the most exciting times to be in supply chain. Because the world is digitizing, supply chains are global. The types of um, you know capabilities that companies need in supply chain are critical to success. Little did I know, you know, that COVID would disrupt a lot of things. But frankly, in looking back, I think a lot of what we were doing and we saw companies doing has been accelerated, and certainly it put the spotlight on the importance of supply chain management right up to the board level. And during COVID, you could say it was an interesting time coming in, but probably for many, for many uh, supply chains, there's never a more important time for supply chain managers to step up. And so I'm, I'm very passionate about the topic of supply chain management. I'm, I'm very excited about you know, the types of things we are going to see coming out of this crisis.
1: Thank you, Jim Kilpatrick. I was very intrigued and interested by your background with the T squares. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I will tell you quickly that I just found out recently that I'm an early woman in tech. I was a programmer back in the key punch days, back in the COBOL on the before Honeywell bought Xerox, Mm -hmm. Xerox Sigma 6 CP5. And I just found my old COBOL book, the silver covered handbook. And inside of it was a template that we used to use for different parts of uh, making a program by hand, in other words, using a pencil and paper before we key punched the code, writing it out and the different diagrams of how the flow chart would go. And I found that template. It's like a little you you draw the lines inside the squares and the boxes. So I'm I'm thinking back to those days. Thank you very much, Jim. Really appreciate that backstory. John Robinson, I haven't met you until about 12 minutes ago. So I don't know an awful lot about you other than the bio you sent. I'd love to hear from you. What's your background? Why are you here as a specialist on this topic? John Robinson at SAP, welcome to you. Go ahead.
4: Hi, Bonnie. Thanks uh, for having me. Um, My background uh, at the moment, I'm a strategic client advisor in SAP's uh, digital supply chain center of excellence. Um, But uh, unlike the other guys, uh, and again, I'm not sure if this is a good or a bad thing, Jim, uh, I've only been with SAP for about 18 months. Um, Prior to that, uh, I spent two years with Ernst & Young as part of their global smart factory Team uh, six years prior to that, I was with Atos as part of their global. Um, again, well, I was responsible for the MES portfolio and part of the industry four team at Atos. And then before that, I was with Wonderware, which is now part of Schneider Electric. Again, in the MES SCADA level. And then before that, I was in manufacturing for uh, about ten years. So again, a bit like Jamie, I started in manufacturing, and my background is actually marketing. I'm not an IT or an engineer by background or an IP person in any way, shape or form, but I, I understand manufacturing. And I think the reason I've moved around so often in my career and taken the very unusual career path is uh, I've always looked at things from a manufacturer's perspective rather than an IT or a technology perspective, which I think gives me a very sometimes challenging, <laughs> makes it difficult for my career uh, in, in terms of communicating with with people. Uh, but again, that will probably come out during the call. Uh, so again, my my background enables me to talk strategy at CXO level, talk IT with the CIO, OT with PLC or programmers, uh, you know, process engineers familiar with PNIDs and how to organize and design a factory, and also operational excellence. So things like total to production system and lean, reliability engineering. I'm a total oddball in many respects, but uh, glad to be here and give my very different view of things.
1: Well, we like different views on things, John Robinson. So you came from marketing background and look at how you talk about everything we're speaking about today. Thank you all for very interesting bios. I always think it's the backstories that lend themselves to making us engage, helping us engage our audiences. So thank you, gentlemen. Now it's a part of the show where I've asked my audience to send me, my listeners to listen up for quotes. My guests have sent me quotes from movies, movies, songs, TV shows. And one of them actually from the world of cycling, Jamie and I had an interesting conversation. He had a great quote. And he said, but it's not a TV show. It's not a movie. It's not a song. Can I use it? And I was so intrigued that I said, yes, Jamie, I broke the rules for you. I hope you appreciate that. So Jamie has sent us a quote from Jens, J-E-N-S, Voigt, V-O-I-G-T. It's a trademark catchphrase. Jens Voigt, young man. I get to say that he was born in 1971. That's a young young man, right? German, former professional road bicycle racer. And upon retirement, he became retiring. Okay, a cycling sports broadcast commentator. And he did wear the jersey for the Tour of France twice. So here we go. Here's the quote. When my legs hurt, I say, shut up, legs. Do what I tell you to do. I don't know what his voice sounds like, Jamie. So you've got to bail me out here. Jamie, what does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Yeah,
2: uh, it's an interesting one, right? So, you know, yep. I, I, quite, I quite like to follow a few quotes and you, you challenged me to come up with a quote in the one area that I don't really do very well in, which is movies and music. But, you know, th- this is a quote that I really, really stand by in a lot of things, right? And I think when, when you come to the supply chain, when you come to moving things around, at the end of the day, what, what we've got to do is make something and get it somewhere. And you've got to just get on and do it. You know, we, we, we work with a lot of people who think about it and plan it and work through it. And we've got all of these tools, we've got all of these techniques. But, you know, it really is just get it done. You know, And I, I think back to you, you, you reminded me of North Carolina when we spoke earlier and where I started, you know, doing transportation planning on a bit of paper, m- much like Jim actually, right, on a bit of paper, what order did you go to the houses in, how do you get it out, right? But, you know, the real fun of working on the beach in North Carolina in that mm-hmm. summer was shut up legs, just do what I tell you, which was get your (laughs) deliveries done as quickly as I could. Because once I had them done, I was going to the beach to have some fun, right? So, you know, it's really that end state, you know, get it through, keep working, keep working hard and we'll all get there, which is why shut up legs, do what I tell you means so much to me. And my project team are probably laughing just now because I use it far too much.
1: Well, I love the quote and thank you for letting me bend, bend the the format a little bit for you because it's it's a quote we might be able to use on other shows. If somebody runs out of ideas, I might say, look what Jamie McCall brought us. Thank you, Jamie. Really appreciate that. We are open-minded here on the Kinetic Enterprise. Let's go to Jim Kilpatrick. Jim has picked one of our favorite quotes from the movie Top Gun, 1986 American action drama directed by Tony Scott and produced by Don Simpson. I In other words, a Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. And the quote is stated there's some great clips of this. Lieutenant Pete Maverick Mitchell, played by the one and only Tom Cruise, talking to Radar Intercept Officer LTJG Nick Goose Bradshaw, played by Anthony Edwards, who I remember from ER. Remember the hospital show ER years ago? Somebody nod? Yes, maybe Jim does. Uh, in Top Gun, and here's—it's a great quote. I feel the need—the need for speed. Jim, relate this to our topic, please. Jim Kilpatrick.
3: Yeah, Bonnie, I, I played by the rules, <laughs> and uh, a lot of a lot of quotes come to mind. Uh, not all applicable to business, obviously, and uh, you know, a quick Google search finds a lot of great quotes, but uh, most of which I, I probably hadn't heard before. I Googled them. This was one that you know, obviously, I've been saying probably for what, 30 years now, I remember uh, when I was living in Japan in 1988, Top Gun was still very popular there and, you know, a lot of people went around saying these things. But, you know, I think in this environment, um, speed speed matters, right? And I think that we've seen an excel, you know, I've often thought that the clock speed of business processes weren't keeping up with the demands of supply chain. So think about the the traditional monthly SNOP process where executives got together to understand what's going on in the market, the capability to supply. You know, um, do they have constraints? We've seen that speed up in covid to weekly, if not daily processes in some companies, and so I don't think it'll have it'll stay there but how do we how do we improve the speed of that process? You know sometimes companies uh, didn't didn't see disruptions until days or weeks after they'd actually happened, especially up the extended supply chain. Companies had to figure out how to get better. Um, signals, you know, from their suppliers about what was really going on so they could react quicker. I felt that many actions companies took in COVID needed to be made quickly and directionally right and then subsequently refined because to sit back and try to get things perfect would just take too long. So I do think that part of the agility equation, uh, the resilience Mm -hmm. equation, is is predicated on increasing the speed, the speed of information flow, the speed of decision making, you know, um, so I I think, you know, that's why I picked the
1: quote thank you very much very appropriate and by the way news to my guests and news to the world we are now live streaming audio there was a little little blip in power shortage at the radio station but we are now streaming live so the world is hearing us, and I'm very happy about that. Let's go to John Robinson's quote. John, also played by the rules. <laughs> Jamie, we're, we're going to yes, leave that on. Listen, Jim started it. I'm just echoing what he said. I respect my guests. This is a quote from The Matrix, which is the first part of a film franchise. This one is the first one. 1999, American sci-fi action film, written and directed by the Wachowskis and produced by Joel Silver. And Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fishburne, is talking to Neo, played by Keanu Reeves and I understand that last year I think was the 20th anniversary of the matrix 2019 and a lot of guests on my shows were quoting the matrix so here is an interesting quote John has selected I got to hear how you found this one John remember all I'm offering is the truth nothing more John Robinson where this come from are you a big fan of the matrix or did you just look it up and tell us what it had to do with our topic go ahead no, I'm
4: not a huge fan of the Matrix necessarily, but I, I do remember that quote and I like that quote. And the reason I've used the quote as well is the basic concept there is that most people see the world in a particular way. You, you see it through a certain lens and you, you have a view of reality, um, which is obviously you believe is the correct way uh, to see the world. But, you know, the red pill, blue pill, if someone shows you the world from a, a very different viewpoint and you see things completely differently, then it can be quite enlightening, it can be scary as well. But um, and I think the the reason I use that quote is given my very unusual career path and having seen the world of manufacturing and supply chains from so many different viewpoints, from from the viewpoint of a manufacturer, from the classic OT uh, side of things from PLCs and SCADA and MES, the world of Siemens, GE, those guys, the OEM equipment manufacturers, and then also from the IT world, and then at the strategic, you know, the board level world. I see the world of manufacturing really quite different to to most of the colleagues I've worked with in the past, and I think um, when I present that view of the world to um, you know people I talk to, it does really. Quite change their fundamentally their view of how they see things. It's almost like a bit of a, a red pill blue pill moment in terms of the light bulb goes on and it's ah right okay that that's quite interesting. So I think just <clears throat> that's the reason I used the quote. It was uh, you know I have an opinion. I'm happy to share it, but I'm just offering an opinion. Uh, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. And that that was the you know when I is offering the truth, uh, nothing more. Then then that's what I'd like to put forward again today in this uh, podcast as well is just. An opinion um, and see whether it has the same effect or not with the audience.
1: John, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for POV. That's what these conversations are. And that's a great intro. Thank you, John. Thank you for the quote. Really appreciate that. That's another useful quote. If a guest on other shows has trouble finding one, I might suggest that. That could be one of our new favorites. We're going to start the formal roundtable portion of the show, and my guests have very appropriately sent me four statements each, discussion statements, in fully self-explainable format. I'm not interviewing them. I'm not asking questions. I'm going to pick one from each. So, Jamie McCall, I'm going to start out with one from you, statement number one. We've already agreed in the chat behind the scenes that this is a good, good place to start. I'm going to read the statement just a little bit, and then I'm going to ask you to unpack it just like they do on the news shows, Jamie. And then Jamie will spend a couple minutes unpacking and then I'll go around the table and ask Jim Kilpatrick to bravely or not agree or disagree with with Jamie. And then John Robinson, I'll ask you to bravely, just as bravely disagree or agree, I put it backwards that time, with Jim and or with Jamie. Then we'll go to a statement from Jim around the table and then one from John. Let's see how far we get. So here's what Jamie told me before the show. He said, delivering transformation in the supply chain requires is best-of-breed applications. I'm going to stop there, Jamie, because I'd rather hear it in your own words. Go ahead.
2: No, um, thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, so I, uh, this, is, this is really what I've made my career over the last few years, and where I speak to a lot of companies at the moment, right, is that what, what, what IT should we put in, what should we use to do then, what we've got to do in the supply chain. And I think, you know, it's almost really simple for me, right? As a company, you've got to look to see what your, your USP is. What, what is it that you're going to, to market? Where are you making your money? And you really want to double down on that. And everything else you want to really take off-the-shelf product for. And, and it's it's really about looking at the package of the package of products or the package of applications that you'll use, how to simplify that IT landscape. So you'll hear you'll hear me maybe later talk about the, the clean core and how we mm-hmm. deliver out of it. But really looking to see what where, where in that space, right, do you do you want to use the the, the right product? And I think. This is where a lot of companies and a lot of um, people I speak to really start to, to struggle because they they try to double down or they try to specialise in everything when they would never do that at a management level of their business. They would look to their USP and drive it. And this this will this will change and th- this will change. I think particularly as we move into the data driven society that we are we're going into. Right? You know, we want to make it easy to move data around. So the majority of your data, you want to be able to share, you want to be able to connect, you want to be able to talk to other people with. But the, the bit that drives your business is the bit that you really need to protect. And the simplest view of all of this for me, right, is, you know, and I've, I've spent many years putting SAP products in, working out from the, the S4 core or the ECC core, but touching their periphery products, APO, EWM, et cetera, that you would drive. And you've got to, you've got to decide when you're using that suite of products, do, it, do I want to use a, an off-the-shelf WM solution, warehouse management solution, that would be, or do I want to really double down, specialise in it, take a, a specialist product, or do I want to develop further within the set of products I've got or use a DevOps mindset to develop my own product to drive it? You know, so we'll see some of the, the big transportation companies have got their very own transportation solutions. And we, whilst, we, whilst we see that, drive forward that Jim mentioned and the speed we're going to move at, that's going to be a key decision for people to make. We can put off the shelf products in quickly. It takes us slightly longer to develop something specialist for someone.
1: Thank you very much, Jamie. Good conversation started. Let's go around the table. Jim Kilpatrick, agree or disagree? What do you think?
3: uh, Jamie's my colleague, so I'm going to agree with him. uh...
1: (laughs) Oh, don't be afraid. It's okay. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I, would, I would say, uh, you know, I, I do agree, I, I would amplify a couple of things that, that Jamie was speaking to. And I think the first thing is to make sure that these decisions, uh, supply chain decisions, technology capability and otherwise are made in the context of your strategy. So if you look at the choice cascade, what are your goals and aspirations as an organization? Where are you going to play? How are you going to win? And then how do you configure? Mm -hmm. And so where supply chain is critical to your competitive advantage, that's where you need to have world-class capability that are often supported by best of breed or custom systems. But you don't need to be world-class at everything. You know, based on your business strategy, and so I wouldn't suggest that every element of supply chain needs to go out and and uh, you know be be enabled by best of breed systems. It's where you create differentiation. I would also say that um, you know in in this in this day where we're embracing the concept of digital supply networks and and uh, visibility across the multi tier supply chain. As we found with COVID, many of the disruptions were, you know, in that extended supply network. There's a a lot of brilliant applications on how to get information across the extended supply chain, improve visibility, make decisions leveraging AI and ML, you know, facilitate collaborative workflows across parties on the issues that can easily be resolved. There's a lot of work to be done um, where there's not applications today that exist. So we're seeing that leveraging uh, cloud-based technologies and a partner, an ecosystem of, of different vendors to build out solutions is what a lot of companies are embracing right now.
1: Thank you, Jim. Good insights. John Robinson, we'd love to get your POV. What do you think? Cause you're here for POV, right? Point of view, opinion, educated. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, John. What do you think?
4: Well, <clears throat> not sure about the educated bit, but certainly an opinion. Um, <laughs> I think, in In broad terms, yes, I agree uh, completely in terms of you know from a business and a business value perspective, it should be down to what's the point of differentiation where where do you need a competitive advantage and why, and where is it just you know an essential business function that like you say is not doesn 't really give you a, a business advantage um, so you can take an off the shelf approach to that so i think in uh, as long as the driving force behind it is around a, a point of differentiation. I, I would agree with a, a best of breed or and, and off the shelf where necessary. But just as a, another sort of point, I, which I mentioned in one of the articles that I first wrote when COVID came out, uh, when the COVID crisis started, um, I think part of the reason why so many supply chains uh, you know, when they were stress tested failed was because there were too many best of breeds across the supply chain too many different points of integration. And so if you go to best of breed across an entire uh, supply chain landscape, um, then the level of back-end integration and and the business real-time visibility and the ability to be agile and adapt to to this type of crisis was mm-hmm. found wanting in many cases. So I think in a sliding scale of um, you know emphasis of weight in the marketplace, I'd be Probably moving more towards a uh, configurable off the shelf, if at all possible, on a single platform, if at all possible, whether that's how is there anyone else's, I think just conceptually, if you have uh, access to the information in a more real time, faster speed, then you may not have the best solution in the world, but the advantage you get through the real time visibility enables you as a business to be more agile. So I, I think. In broad terms, yes, I, I'm certainly agreeing with the, you know, and the transportation one was a great example. If that is your point, if that is your business, that is your point of differentiation, then an, an off-the-shelf transportation solution may not be fit for purpose for what you need, because that is your competitive advantage. But for a run-of-the-mill manufacturer where transportation is just a business function, then off-the-shelf may be good enough. I uh, hope that makes sense.
1: Yeah, thank you. Very, very interesting, Jamie. This was your topic. Would you like to chat back with your two colleagues on the panel?
4: Yeah,
2: no, I. I (laughs) thought you said no there
1: for a second. No, no, no. (laughs) I
2: I, I think I think they've nailed it. You know, it comes back to that. What's the USP part? What's what's the business strategy, and where where am I trying to drive the USP from? You know, as John says. We want more data. We we want to get that visibility. You know, we we talk about the clean core a lot. You know, getting that core SAP solution, which is what I I try to deliver, to give people that fast real time information. But you know, as as Jim says, we need to do more than above that, and we need to to drive that differentiation out into the market as well. So I I I think that's the point. And I think the real thing for me, and the reason I picked this statement, was because there's going to be a lot of transformation coming forward. And this is going to be a big topic because people are going to want to do it quickly, which mm-hmm. drives you towards COTS products, but they're going to have to keep that USP. And as John said, I, I and I completely agree, too many supply chains have too many best of breed solutions, which make them difficult to
1: work with. And I think we'll move away from that. Thank you very much. John, there was one thing you said that, oh, of everything I paid attention to, but one thing you said, there were too many best of breed solutions. John, can you tell us what happens when there are too many best of breed? Does that, it, how do you get to be the best? What gets to be the best? Is off the shelf going to be the best for that company? Is there a competition to be the best just because? Or can you, can you just help me with that a little bit, John?
4: Well, I think, it, again, it's something I was going to touch on later in terms of system complexity. Uh, okay. And I always, I always find it easier for my brain okay. to understand analogies. And I think if you think to Formula One and a Formula One team Mm. and their overall results over a year, then there are many component parts to success. So there's the car, there's the engine, the gearbox, the aerodynamics, the driver, the pit team, you know, it's their overall result at the end of the year is a combination of how all of those component parts work together. So again, you could have the best engine, the best driver, the best aerodynamics and the best, best of breeds in, in certain areas, but it doesn't actually win the race or win the championship at the end of the year because as individual component parts, they don't quite work together as a best of breed group. And again, there are multiple instances in sports where a team of non-superstars actually win the Super Bowl or win, win a major championship, and it's because they gel and work together in a more efficient way than you know a group of superstars who on the surface look like the best of breed but actually they don't gel in quite the same way as a more efficient um system uh, so again it's about system design system complexity and the the performance of the overall system rather than its individual component parts if if that makes Uh, again, makes sense.
1: It does. Thank you. Didn't mean to pick on you, but I was intrigued with what you said. I like the sports analogies and racing as well. Jim Kilpatrick, I'm looking at your statement number two. Let's go there next. Interesting points here. You say COVID-19 may be the event that finally pushes organizations to take supply chain risk management seriously. Jim, I'm going to stop there and let you unpack this for us. Go ahead. Yeah.
3: Bonnie, uh, supply chain risk management is, is not new. And early days of COVID, I was always shocked how the common expression was there's no playbook for this. Mm. In fact, even if you just look over, a lot of people go back to the the Japanese tsunami and earthquake as one of the major disruptions that they can remember um, impacting the semiconductor supply chain. But even over the last year, you look at what's been going on from trade wars to wildfires to social unrest, you know, uh, elements of war in certain parts of the country. There were a lot. Uh, you can add drought, you know, you can go on and on. But there's a lot of different crises that companies have had to be managing. Yet for some reason, it feels like in fairly buoyant times, most organizations haven't really taken supply chain risk management seriously. They don't have, many, most organizations in my experience don't have a vice president of supply chain risk management. Hmm. Most organizations haven't wargamed and simulated their supply chain and how they'd respond to a significant disruption. Most organizations embrace concepts like uh, statistically set safety stock to buffer normal supply side and demand side variability, but they don't have strategic stock uh, stockpiles to buffer against extreme events. And so, there's been a lot of quotes from very, very senior business people saying this event, this COVID event, is finally the one that will cause organizations to step back and look at their supply chain, to look at their global footprint. You know, to look at whether they've perhaps pushed the envelope too far for uh, asset utilization and, and low inventory levels to the point of being vulnerable to the slightest of disruptions. And mm-hmm. so so that if you Google it, I mean, almost everybody is talking about supply chain resiliency now, and certainly there is a the shift to resiliency. The pragmatist in me, though, would say that resiliency does come at a cost. Now, there's ways to mitigate that cost, But organizations still need to be um, competitive. And when I talk to business leaders, uh, obviously cost remains important. Mm -hmm. The ability to serve customers, which you could argue is part of resiliency, remains important. Uh, Very few executives are going to find it possible to invest in extra inventory or extra capacity or things that add cost and assets Mm -hmm. to the system, unproductive assets, in, in, in just, just to create resiliency. So I really think it's about finding balance. You know, uh, most supply chains are cost optimized today. Perhaps it'll be a risk adjusted cost optimization is one thought that I have. But I do think it's, it's, uh, there's clearly a shift to understanding points of vulnerability and building resiliency in the supply chains. But organizations will, will strive to find the balance because cost service and asset performance remain vitally
1: important. Thank you, Jim. I think we just came up with a new job description. We can open that up to the World Vice President of Supply Chain Risk Management. You mentioned that. And there is no playbook, isn't that interesting? Because there are ins and outs and ups and downs all the time, but when you get a major that tsunami, we don't know what to do. Maybe they did. They just didn't focus on putting the pieces together. Let's go around the table. John Robinson, whether you know it or not, you are sitting virtually next to Mr. Jim Kilpatrick. So I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree on what Jim said, and then we'll get around to Jamie next. John, go ahead.
4: No, I, I totally agree with uh, Jim on this one. But as Jim pointed out, it it's you know the resiliency uh, challenge in terms of building in that resilience in terms of stocks and buffers and various and other things is is the, you know, the other end of the scale to the cost side of things in terms of keeping those, um, you know, supply chains as lean as possible. And, and again, I think in, in normal operating times, we've tuned and tuned and tuned and tuned to the point where the level of variation, again, you know, people would consider supply chain disruption pre-COVID with a plus or minus, are very small. Mm-hmm. And obviously in the COVID crisis, the plus or minus was enormous. And, and that's the bit that stress tested. And as soon as that hit, it it exposed the how lean those supply chains were. But, you know, Jim, Jim's also right, it, it's, I don't know what the answer is yet in terms of the solution to this, because the, it's almost like an insurance policy. You know, you don't value an insurance policy until you, you have a problem and you have house floods and you need to claim on the insurance. So insurance is often you know, neglected and you, know, you get away with the bare minimum and then you, know, you regret not having it when you need it. But it is, it's the same dilemma. It's how do you balance that uh, need for that resilience? And I think that's where there's an opportunity to be creative and also an opportunity for new business models to emerge. So again, in the way that we've seen You know, many of the new business models over the last years that we all quote all the times, like, you know, Netflix killing off Blockbuster and Uber Mm -hmm. disrupting the taxi business. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe there is a new business opportunity for some entrepreneurial organization to think of a new business model that would work for, uh, you know, to provide that resiliency that the manufacturer still doesn't have to carry. Uh, some sort of middle capability between. I don't know. Uh, I I agree with the sentiment of what Jim said, that it will be taken more seriously. I I don't. I'm not that clever to figure out what the actual answer is
1: yet. (laughs) Thank you. I think that's what we're all seeking is that actual answer and time will tell. Jamie McCall, please join us. Thoughts on what Jim proposed in his statement and also what John commented on. Go ahead, Jamie.
2: Yeah, I I completely agree. I I think we 're going to see not just the, the change in the supply chain, but I think there'll be a, a societal change to be almost more risk manage, more risk adverse and to think through how we manage these things and what might happen in the future. You know You read the paper this morning and people are talking about the next lockdown next winter again so I, I think that 's going to fundamentally drive change in how we do our business and I think that transformation and I, I think you know the people i 'm speaking to are already talking about what 's that transformation going to look like and what 's going to happen. And I think that's going to drive the balance. And I think what will be really interesting for me is, I think that supply chain risk management question will actually come into the design of what we're doing. So, you know, I, I think um, John mentioned, you know, and, and Jim mentioned safety stocks and the level we manage them at, and how we set them up. And we've, we've optimized that for many years, you know. I, I remember back in the days running a production line where you took 10% off your budget every year and tried to deliver what you delivered the year before. And you, you keep going, you, you keep going. I think we'll move away from that. I think when we're having the conversations about the new processes and how how things will change, that will be, will be a factor. I think that there's one thing though that I think is gonna be probably even more interesting in all of this. And you know, Jim talked about the big global supply chains and the, the, the network that people are moving on. I think people will start to move to more um, local supply chains and start to think a lot more about what they hold locally and what they manage and what they have control over. And I don't know how that will play out. You know, maybe the conglomerates will buy more, maybe the conglomerates will, will look for best of breed, or sort of smaller companies to partner with. But, you know, I, I think you're going to see a lot more local supply chain management, which is going to help be one of the ways that people will take that strategic level buffering of the global networks and the global problems that we, we had through the global pandemic.
1: Thank you very much, Jim Kilpatrick. On this topic around the table, Jim, anything you want to say back to your co-panelists?
3: Yeah, there's uh, so thanks for the comments, uh, you know, John and Jamie. I think this is a topic that could probably use the whole hour. There's there's so many add-on comments that were made about the the resetting of global supply chains, potentially the shift to regional or more local supply chains. You know, there's there's uh, there's a lot to be said about getting the balance right, and what is the right balance? You know, if I just use uh, some of my speed comments from the earlier piece, I, I remember one organization, very large food company, as, as it was apparent that COVID might hit North America at that point in time, uh, the top executives said, let's increase our inventory levels 20% across the board to make sure we've got buffers just in case America gets hit with COVID. And, you know, great, great directionally right statement, but um, needed to be tuned very quickly. Because if you're putting a product on the shelf, do you really need to have every package size, 20% more of it, you know, than you've historically had? Or, or if there is indeed truly a crisis, will consumers buy two 16-ounce bottles versus a 32-ounce? Do you really need to have every flavor, you know, on the shelf, mm-hmm. you know, if, if it's actually a crisis? Is the point to carry that buffer actually in raw materials, or is it in a bulk or perhaps a key, a key raw material. So, you know, uh, some quick math on top of a directionally right decision was able to show that, that you wouldn't actually increase inventory levels across all products everywhere, but at, at strategic points in your supply chain and specific products and get actually a better buffer uh, with far less investment of inventory. Those are the types of things that I think people will have to be a lot smarter about as they go forward.
1: Thank you, Jim. And I'm recalling the rush to buy certain paper goods and certain uh. baking goods in early pandemic. Remember, somebody, uh, I, somebody called me and said, do you have any yeast for baking? I said, why? They said, you cannot get a package of Fleischmann's yeast for love or money in the store. And I went online and I found they were selling it for, I think, five packages for $100 here in the US. Uh, we all know not to be crude, but toilet paper. Kleenex, paper goods, couldn't get them, could hand sanitizer, who knew that those would be the products of the year for the first half of 2020? Who could have planned for that? In, in your wildest dreams, Jim, could you see somebody saying, yeah, I think we're going to have personal paper products, or they're going to be run out and they're going to be restricted in how many you could buy. So, so good conversation. Thank you. And you know what, in the interest of time, I'm going to move on because we have some interesting notes here from John Robinson. Thank you, Jim, for that. John's number one statement he sent me says the following, the business model that has existed for the past 30 years, calling it the status quo, was not and is not fit for purpose. John, I'm going to stop and let you tell us more. Go ahead. John Robinson.
4: Thank you, Bonnie. Um, Well, this actually goes back to the red pill, blue pill um, statement that I provided before. Um, And again, this is the, the sort of point of view that I developed given that quirky uh, experience because what I've seen in in my experience in the last 30 years is that, you know, if you look at most global manufacturers, they've they followed more, four major trends around improving their business performance. So they've done the strategy work uh, around acquisitions and mergers and divestments and organizing their supply chains and which products to bring to market, you know, the, the strategic direction of the, the business. They've all invested very heavily in their IT systems, you know, the domain of the CIO, um, but as we know, the CIO doesn't build factories. They don't build manufacturing plants. That's the world of operational technologies. That's process engineers, chemical enge- engineers, mechanical automation, etc. cetera. And then they've all introduced operational excellence programs. So again, Lean, Six Sigma, Toyota Production System, ways of working. And certainly in my experience, uh, inside organizations, they've not brought those four um, strategies together very well. Um, you know, IT and engineering often don't, work very well together inside an organization and and in terms of, you know, OT own the shop floor and the factory, IT own the supply chain and the enterprise level, but they don't really work particularly well. And sometimes they're actually more often they're not in competition and then when you look in the external ecosystem of suppliers it's organized in the same way you know you have the the big pure play consulting firms operating at the boardroom level you have uh, a whole group of ecosystem suppliers around the cio you have a whole group of very different suppliers anchored around the engineers who buy equipment and machines and plcs and various other things and then operational excellence so the The external ecosystem is a a mirror image of those same four silos or groups that you see that have not quite gelled together. Then in recent years, we've had the advent of Industry 4 offering so much promise. But basically, you look at the World Economic Forum uh, information, latest reports, it's stuck in pilot purgatory, as they call it people haven't figured out how to scale industry four yet, then the question is why? And my point of view is, well, nothing's changed. You know, consultants still sell to the boardroom, IT companies still sell to the CIO, you know, the engineering companies, automation vendors still sell to engineers. No, we've not actually solved the problem. And if you look at the business model as well, in terms of the uh, relationship between manufacturers and the um, supplier ecosystem. Again, it's very point-to-point. Point. They, they deal with all of us, you know, Deloitte, SAP, and many others uh, individually and buy from us. And there isn't an awful lot of uh, communication between the suppliers themselves between each other. So you end up in a situation where um, you know, those, those big transformational investment projects, whether that was strategy, IT, operational technologies, operational excellence programs, none of the four have really delivered the value the, the manufacturer expected. And, and, you know, so from my point of view, when we see all the uh, articles that have come out in the last six months about the new normal and the need for a new normal and various other things, I, I would strongly argue that actually everything that's being put forward as the new normal is actually only an evolution. It's only a, a slight change to what we're doing. And actually what we need is a revolution. We need to change completely the way that we do things. And that actually that doing things differently moving forward uh, so if you take a topic like sustainability, for instance, or supply chain reinvention, as we're talking about now, there is no one supplier who can reinvent a supply chain, not SAP, not Deloitte, not Oracle, not McKinsey, that there is no one logo out there that can actually help a manufacturer to, to change their uh, organization. It's going to require a collaboration between uh, a number of them to to work differently in the future. And, I, you know, the Aristotle, uh, and I, I do believe he did say this... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I checked, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So I, I think if you are a manufacturing company and you're faced with coming out of COVID, then actually the best solution for me would be to put your five biggest suppliers in a room together and force them to work together moving forward. So if you imagine the power of a Microsoft, an SAP, a Deloitte, a Siemens and a McKinsey all sat at the same table, figuring out how to help that customer transform their business as a, a collaboration as we're working together and sharing information and figuring it out because actually when you map out certain key com, uh, capabilities there's not that much overlap or well, there is there are in certain areas but it can be done so i think you know the the power of those together is far more than the individual any one individual company uh, could do you know could do uh, or deliver to that manufacturing company and i think working in that way is something we've not done for 30 years because um, we all sell to the same customers uh, you know individually but working together around a table um and again if you think of the core competence that we're bringing to the table you know again keep it simple Microsoft in the role of a hyperscaler, SAP as the enterprise application vendor, Deloitte as the delivery company that will deliver all of this, Siemens as the automation company that provide all the factory-level uh, solutions, and McKinsey providing, I don't know, some uh, high-level you know, manufacturing consulting capability in those roles, then those five together are far more powerful than any one of them individually. And I think that would be a total change to the way that we work at the moment. And that's the sort of red pill, blue pill you know, when you, when you think of how we work for the last 30 years, it, it doesn't work, you know, buying individual components. It just, it's not worked in my, my view.
1: Thank you, John. Very, very interesting. A lot to pick on, unpack, repack. Let's go around the table briefly. We've got uh, eight minutes left to the show. I have plenty of time here. In radio time, that's a, a, <laughs> almost a lifetime. Jamie McCall, you're virtually sitting next to John. I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree. Go ahead, Jamie.
2: Um, it's a hard one. I I, I don't know whether I, I agree or disagree, and it's really interesting for me because mm-hmm. I've probably done the hop from industry to tech and then tech to consultancy. So I've, I've I've kind of personally worked across all three, and I I think there are there are always challenges, there are always business challenges as how you drive it forward. I actually wonder, um, if if it will be a slightly different thing which will drive the change and which will drive that coming together, which is. I think we're seeing a bit of a change in manufacturing companies, in particular, where they 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 may have um, they may have had an older generation of workers. You know, a lot of what I did at the beginning of my career was replacing what was there, right? You know, I might have been putting onto technology, but it was taking paper and putting it onto tech. And I, I was talking to I was talking to a colleague about this the other day, there in the the asset management and the the, the maintenance space. I think we're starting to see a generation of people. Who have been brought up with a completely different view to technology and how they work and much like we saw in the in the front office and in the front end connectivity companies had to change how they engage their customers i actually think you're going to see companies are going to have to have to change how they engage their staff and how they work with their staff and their staff are going to expect a lot more which i think will drive a lot of that integration that john talks about having to be much better because, you know, as we bring people into the manufacturing environment, they're not, they, they no longer expect to, to be not to be able to use their iPhone. They expect it to be there. And I think that they're gonna, that's what's going to keep the best and the brightest minds in those jobs and not looking to move to competitors. Because we, we will move to a world where if the tech doesn't work, people won't stay with the company.
1: So, mm, interesting, John. Look what you started. We're we're out in the provocative limb here. Jim Kilpatrick, love to get your thoughts. We've got six minutes left; plenty of time, Jim. And then we'll do a, a sixty-second prediction at the very end. V, 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 fast, fast, fast. Jim, go ahead. Love to hear your thoughts.
3: Yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot in what John was saying. I mean, the first part I picked up, which I'll agree with, is that the the level of collaboration internally in organizations needs to be much better. I think, uh, you know, sales and marketing um, you know, operations often blames them for executing new product launches or promotions they weren't prepared for. Mm. Sales and marketing will blame operations for not being responsive enough, you know, or not having the inventory in the right place. Um, you know, people like to blame back and forth between the IT systems and the quality of data, but much of that data is owned by business people. So there's, uh, there's, there's, there's sort of some natural tension in many organizations. What I liked about seeing organizations change during COVID Is that to survive you know and and in some cases thrive like a toilet paper company there was a hyper degree of collaboration internally as marketplaces and channels were disrupted significantly as volume shifted from one channel to another like food service to retail you know as suppliers Mm -hmm. were disrupted as marketplaces were totally shut down Mm -hmm. as borders closed there was a hyper degree of internal collaboration and we need to find ways to keep a lot of what was done then, you know, continuing on well beyond COVID. I think organizations as well have embraced the supply chain concept that really, when you say the word supply chain, in my mind, it should in- include from source to consumer, mm-hmm. but supply chain was was historically defined under the SCORE model plan, source, make, deliver, where the, you know, the scope of control you had was from your own suppliers to your own customers, and organizations have realized that there's an extended supply chain that's absolutely critical to keep goods flowing and ensure your your, your your competitiveness. So many disruptions companies had to deal with weren't their direct suppliers. They were suppliers to their suppliers that couldn't get the goods out. So I do think there's a new model emerging that's more of a an extended ecosystem model. And the other point that was being made was that one one company, one software vendor can't solve it all. Uh, we buy into that you know at at Deloitte um, even with our strong partnership with SAP we believe that to enable a business to build capability where it matters to go back to some of our earlier points requires an ecosystem of different providers now those ecosystems have to be formed consciously Um, you know truthfully some some software companies are arch rivals some consulting companies are arch rivals and they're not naturally going to get into Mm -hmm. a room and work together but there's clearly an ecosystem of players that need to come together to serve a company. And those that do it well and embrace that ecosystem concept will, I believe, get competitive advantage and
1: thrive. Thank you very much. And John, I wish we could delve more into this, but I have to read, John, forgive me, in the statement number four, John Robinson sent me the very last line, Jim, to your point and to everybody's point is, we have to move from an ego system to an ecosystem. system. John? Words of wisdom, thank you very much. Gentlemen, this has been a very interesting and at times very provocative conversation. We're almost out of time, but not out of time too much to have you give a one sentence prediction on where this is going. I'll I'll give you an option if you don't want to predict on the topic, predict a sports outcome. I don't know your favorite team or who's going to win the next Formula One or something like that. Let's quickly go around the table. I can I think we have uh, one sentence. You could have two commas, three semicolons, and a long dash in there if you want to make it a long sentence. So Jamie would put on warning. Jamie McCall, predict one sentence. Where is this all going? Go ahead.
2: I am going to break the rules, but as I did before, quickly. <laughs> I think I think that um, digital printing. In the home is going to be a massive thing before i retire and that's going to change again everything we're all talking about and if any of these are betting man i'll boom photo for a hat-trick on the cheltenham gold cup
3: march the 17th
1: thank you that's st patty's day jim kilpatrick one sentence we're literally up on the edge go ahead jim predict
3: well there's no no question in my mind that the supply chain in mm-hmm. the future is going to be much more digital Uh, A lot of that is an acceleration of the industry 4.0 digital supply network technologies that we've seen. To use an old quote from back around 2000, you know, the ability to replace assets with information, you know, is important. Uh, Back then it was about, you know, using information to create better demand plans so we could carry less finished goods inventory and keep service levels high. You know, in the future, I think that leveraging information across the extended supply chain to sense respond, and anticipate will allow us to create resiliency with far less physical overhead.
1: Thank you. John Robinson, you get the last word, literally 30 seconds, they're yours.
3: Um,
4: I My prediction is that we have got enough uh, brain power and willpower to make sure we do the right things to uh, protect this planet for my three-year-old and five-year-old so it's uh, fit for purpose and sustainable for them in the future. So yeah, I think human ingenuity will prevail and save ourselves from the brink which it seems like we're at sometimes.
1: <laughs> sometimes it does. Yes, indeed. Thank you. I, I detected a lot of optimism and hope in there. Thank you. Jamie McCall, such a pleasure to get to know you. Thank you for your insights. Jim Kilpatrick, wonderful to see you again. Yes, last year was a lifetime ago, and I'm glad you're back. John Robinson, you were a treat. Nice to meet you. We didn't even have a prep call, and here you are. So thank you for the provocative comments. I want to thank also Igosa obak who put the show together. Igosa is doing this on his own now we wish Carla O'Neill at Deloitte wonderful, wonderful time in her new role at Deloitte. And I have to say thank you also to the sponsor of the show, Helen Tomas at Deloitte. And hello to Natalie Butlin and Maria Rechtenwall as well. Aaron Keller, our engineer, thanks for getting the computers up and running and get us on live radio. Eventually, we appreciate that. Shout out to Voice America. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Thank you for listening. This has been the Kinetic Enterprise presented By Deloitte. Everybody be safe, be smart, be savvy, stay well, and keep up that mask. Bye bye. Wave goodbye, everybody.
0: Thank you you for listening to the Kinetic Enterprise Built to Evolve, presented by Deloitte. Be sure to join host Bonnie D. Graham next Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Deloitte can help you reimagine everything in order to get the most out of your SAP investments and position your business for tomorrow's demands. Learn more at Deloitte.com slash SAP. This program is copyright Deloitte Development, LLC. All rights reserved.